Hello and welcome to the Profitable Practice Podcast with me, Andrea Maxim, naturopathic doctor turned healthpreneur. And every week I'm bringing you no nonsense, no BS, actionable strategies to create a practice that is not only profitable, but fully sustainable by you. If you're an action taker like me and want to create a practice that is profitable, then you've come to the right place. Hello, everyone. This is another wonderful podcast we have today on the Profitable Practice Podcast. I'm, of course, your host, Andrea Maxim, and I have a phenomenal, phenomenal guest with us today. I can't even believe that I have David Allen on the show. Um, And I was just speaking to him before the show, and I literally purchased his audio version of the book, Getting Things Done, and I listened to it almost immediately in my car, and that was about four years ago. So I still Still use a lot of those values and principles in my business today and that's why I think it's phenomenal that we have you David on the show today to help us restructure reorganize and understand that we can run a successful business and we just have to put things into place with regards to how to be more productive when we're more organized of course in our brains as well as in our business so thank you so much again David Allen welcome to the show Delighted to be here, Andrea. Thanks for asking me. So please, I am just so interested in knowing your background story. So as far as I know, you were um, busy working with CEOs and all these big time players in their businesses. What was it that made you put your strategies together into the book, Getting Things Done, as well as all of the other books that you've written as well? Actually, as I, it took me 25 years to figure out what I'd figured out and that it was unique and nobody else had done it. So I didn't go out to write a book to begin with. I actually just kept putting my one foot in front of the other following, you know, just following my nose really, uh, just trying to, you know, build and create my own business, you know, that so I, I could be doing the things that I wanted to be doing that I thought helped people. That, and I just seemed to have niched myself into something that everybody found extremely valuable And there was no big epiphany. I didn't wake up one morning with all of that in my head. Uh, I had a a, a real attraction early on to empty space in your head Mm -hmm. through meditation practices and through martial arts and through uh, and uh, and other aspects of that. And I also saw that it was much easier to stay clearly focused on your priorities. And and, uh, I just like the peacefulness in your head and the freedom that that gives you to actually not be distracted by a lot of stuff. And as I got more involved in the the professional world and was growing up and getting more mature and more accountabilities, responsibilities, I saw that it kind of screwed up clear space pretty easily. So I was very hungry to find out just for myself what were the best practices about how to keep clear. And then I turned around as I started my own consulting practice after, you know, I was a good number two guy for a lot of friends who started their own businesses. I didn't really know what I wanted to do when I grew up. Right. Uh, so, but I helped a lot of people who did. And I just would walk in and look around and see what they were doing and say, well, here's an easier way to do that because I'm just Mr. Lazy, really. Uh, and so I, I, I just, you know, now they call it process improvement. You know, <laughs> right. Then, uh, you know, I did, that was, <laughs> they didn't have a sexy word for it like that then. <laughs> but I just like fix things. And then, then it got to working and it was on cruise control. I got bored. So I left, went somewhere else. Then I discovered they actually pay people to do that, and they call them something, you know. So consultant. Now I now right. I are one, hung out my shingle, and so forth. And then I just was kept 
developing this stuff, trying this stuff. A big corporation saw what I was doing, asked me to come in and help them design a training program around what I had uncovered. And that worked really, really well. And that became essentially the core, both one-on-one desk side coaching with this material as well as uh, training programs that I was doing, started to do in the corporate world. But I didn't really know, again, that I'd figured out something that was that unique. I kind of thought I was the last guy in the world to figure this out. And then, you know, then just client after client. And I didn't, I wasn't particularly entrepreneurial or aspirational in that sense of, I was just more of an educator and an explorer and a researcher about this. And then just, you know, doing what I could do to maintain, you know, to, to, to keep a job. Right. <laughs> Basically, to, you know, do stuff that made money so I could support my own lifestyle and my own, and the research in this. And then at some point, yeah, it grew and grew. And then clients kept asking for more and more. Uh, people to help train this stuff, so I you know, grew a small company. And then at a certain point, uh, as I said, I decided, well, gee, I guess it was time to write the book. We bought out a couple of partners. My wife and I, at that time, sort of reconfigured the company, put my name on the masthead. This was back in 1996, and said I had a bunch of advisors. I just asked, you know, to spend a day with me and slap me around and tell me what I ought to do with this thing. And they said, well, write a best-selling business book. I went ah. I know, I really. I, I, I don't know. I don't know how to do that. <laughs> what do I do? So it took took four years from the time I pulled the trigger and made that a real active project of mine until I actually until it was published and on the shelf. So that was ninety seven to two thousand and one. But that was really after the long answer to your short question. But that was like lots and lots of years and literally thousands and thousands, tens of thousands of hours. You know, spent desk side working this material with real people. So by that point, I had the confidence that it was unique and that it was bulletproof. And that I was willing to put it all in a book and write the manual. But it's such an important thing for people to understand because this is what we see, right? As the lay person, we see, oh my goodness, he wrote this book and that's what spurred your success. That's what really made you. But this book was, Mm -hmm. as you said, 25 years in the making. And it's important (coughs) for business people to understand that too. You know, we look at people on Shark Tank and Dragon's Den and all these big, famous entrepreneurial people. And we think, oh, it was just an overnight success. But you put the time in, you got the... um, the proof going. And then, of course, when the book came out, I mean, it just made sense. And the thing is, is exactly as you said, none of this that you've necessarily written about is brand new information, but you've just put it together in such a phenomenal way that I think that's why the communities have really gravitated towards it, including myself and even people that don't run a business. I mean, just do it in your own home office, as you've mentioned in the book. So it's, I think it's very important for people to understand the hustle that goes behind the successes that we see in some of the people that we want to emulate in our life. Sure. Well, you know, Malcolm Gladwell's, you know, 10,000 hours and the outliers was, was, there was a lot to that. Basically, you know, you don't see somebody who was just born walking out there and suddenly making a gazillion dollars. Wouldn't that be nice though? <laughs> well, if that was easy, then the, your competition would have done it ahead of you. So, you know, so, you know, there's, I think you, I think dues have to be paid no matter what. So, and just point. kind of elaborating on your your um, talk about this, the mindfulness of our, our minds. And this is a quote that I loved that you'd said is that the mind is not for holding ideas. It's for having ideas. And I'd love to know sort of the inspiration behind that. Because I think that's such a, a strong quote for us to be kind of latching on to. Well, I had I had a mentor who, who had had developed a couple of these techniques. And he and I worked together very closely for a couple of years back in the early 80s. 
And he was the one who basically had come up with the idea of the mind sweep or just empty everything out of your head uh, because he was doing rather significant coaching for executives and organizational change and found that most people trying to change just had a lot of old business, a lot of incomplete open loops, a lot of stuff, sure. commitments and would, could, shoulds and need tos that were still sort of residue, much like barnacles on a ship and that you needed to get rid of the barnacles if you're trying to change course or trying to you know, move fast, uh, you know, in a boat. And so he, he had uncovered that technique. So I learned that from him and that was just really powerful to get stuff out of your head and then to decide next actions on each one of those things that was actionable so that you could actually start to execute on them and that you had sort of finished your thinking about it in an operational way. Mm-hmm. And those two, those two elements I didn't make up. Those were taught, taught to me by a guy named Dean Atchison, who was still a good Still a good friend of mine, and and uh, you know became a uh, a mentor, and then we did a lot of work together. So those were two elements that I said, "Wow, this is really this really actually is a critical piece and a critical element." You know, fast forward now to current time, and you know the cognitive scientists in the last five or ten years have really started to validate the fact through their research and everything else that your head truly did not evolve to keep track of more than about four meaningful things at once. And as soon as you add anything more than that in there, you start blowing fuses. Well, that you makes start, sense now to me. <laughs> yeah. You start being driven. You, well, you're, you're, you start being driven by latest and loudest. Yes. You know, as opposed to the larger gestalt. And the larger gestalts have gotten so huge simply because of the stress of opportunity. How many things could you surf the web about right now? How many things could you do with your kids that could improve their, uh, their ability to get into Harvard? Yeah. How many things could you do? That could, you know, oh, my God. You know, so there's... All of that, you know, never was there before. So the whole gestalt of your commitments with yourself is something most people are really have are, is still way out of control. And that's why GTD and my stuff, I think, has hit a nerve because it's really about how to start to get a grip on uh, on all of that and come to grips with all of the the nature of the commitments that you've made with yourself. And most people haven't a clue how many they have. And that is such a an important question that I wanted to ask you today as well. Is you know when if we look back to how our world was a decade ago, 20 years ago, I mean, um, the stressors were still there, but as you said, now everything is so quick, it's so fast paced, we have research literally at our fingertips. And with that evolution, how have you noticed the changes in how, and um, let me ask a different way, how have you, what are the biggest trip ups that you're finding now, CEOs, corporate managers, small business owners are having um, the most difficulty with that maybe wasn't necessarily as much of an issue 10, 20 years ago when it comes to increasing productivity and keeping things organized? It's the same issues, uh, really, Andrea, from, from, from 10 to 15 years. It's been the same issues for 35 years since I've been dealing with this stuff. What's different is how many people are experiencing that. At, at what levels? Got it. it. Used to be just the you know most senior people with the most accountabilities or the entrepreneurs that were really you know kind of out of control. They've always been sort of out of control and you know have you're wearing sixty three hats and have seven hundred plates all spinning in the air yeah. all at once. Yeah. So that issue is that's not really new and there's nothing new about those issues. What's new is how many people feel that way, not just the top person or the top entrepreneur. It's their assistant feels that way and their and their kids are feeling that way and now. You know, so what's really changed is not so much the, either the methodology or the stressors, but the, but the, I guess the, the range of the population of people who really need this now, where this is really critical in order to stay sane. 
just weren't that many people that were in that kind of situation before. Right. And then, so, so as we're approaching the book and, and I don't even mean to talk about the book, I mean, your company, what it is that you're um, offering people in general, as we approach that, I mean, to me, the idea of sitting down and organizing my entire life is such a daunting task. It's so overwhelming that I could understand why small business owners would just be like, you know what, that sounds crazy. I'm just going to keep doing exactly what it is that I'm doing and just hope for the best and sort of keep treading my head above water. Um, what is it about your methodology that really resonates with people and makes it so easy just for those that maybe haven't gotten a chance to look into um, the getting things done methodology or, or uh, what have you? Well, I think probably what most people could relate to is, um, well, if you're if you're a naturopath, for instance, uh, how do you want your office to be when you're meeting a new patient? When you're about to do an exam, yeah. wh what do you need to have in place? Or if you're a chef, I mean, go to the great French chef, and what do they all say? Mise en place. You do not start until right. everything is there. Because... You know, ideally, you want the freedom to be spontaneous and, you know, you're most creative and most productive when you have the freedom to make a mess. You know, I don't work neat. I'm not a naturally neat or organized person. Uh, you know, I work, it, it, it goes all over the place. I cook all over the place. Right. I mean, but but it start, doesn't start that way. See, if you're already in a mess, you can't make one. So the whole idea is getting your, knowing how to get your act so clean and together that you're then totally free to be as spontaneous as you want to be without having to, you know, have necessarily, you know, hard edges to what you're doing, you know, but the, so the, the, the freedom to, to, to be spontaneous is an earned freedom. And so, you know, people say, oh, I don't want to be so organized. I say, well, what do you think about the line in the middle of the road? <laughs> oh, that's a good thing. Why? Well, it lets you drive down the street without worrying about people hitting you. You right. think about other things while you're driving. Now, you don't want 75 lines in the road because then that would be too distracting to know how to drive. But you want just enough structure so that some part of you does not have to worry about that. And it frees up your mind to be able to think about what's meaningful to you. That's all this is. Yeah. So, you know, so you know, if you were disorganized, totally disorganized, you couldn't get out of bed. It's funny because most people don't think about organizing when they're doing something they love. Golfers don't think about organ. Yeah, they might think about organizing their club, but they just do it because they want to be able to grab the right club when they need it. Yeah. Right. A painter doesn't think about going and getting organized. They kind of do, but they just need to have their brushes and their paints in the right places before they start. And the same with a cook. Right. So you know, how's your kitchen? Do you have do you have spices spread all over the place? Are they all in the, where spices go? Right. So it's really it's really just a matter of of getting your life as much under control as you need to to basically free you up and give you more space to do more than you want. So, but if you're not interested in more space to do anything, you know, forget it. Don't don't read the book. You're, you know, you don't need to. You know, that's what. See, what my stuff doesn't create time; it creates space. Yes. You don't need more time. You can't get more time. You can't manage time. You don't mismanage five minutes and come up with six. You know, but you know, and how much time does it take to be creative? Zero. How much time does it take to be innovative? Zero. How much time does it take to be loving and present with your kids when you tuck them into bed or watch them play soccer? Zero. Yeah. That takes zero time. But what it does require is room inside your head. If you're still carrying last week or that issue or that worry or that thing, 
that you have not yet appropriately engaged with in terms of what your decision about it is and what your commitment about it is and you know what you're going to do about it, if anything. If you haven't got those things under control, decided, and into a trusted system, then it's almost impossible to be totally creative or present with your kids or, yeah, or, or cook, you know, absolutely. with that kind of freedom. So that I'm a freedom guy. So, you know, my, that's where all this really came from. So the freedom to, to do what, see what you will do with it, Andre, with that space, if that was created inside of you is very different than what I would do with it. Very different than a rock star, very different than, you know, Howard Stern's a big fan of my stuff. Right. You know, he, you know, he, he uses, he used space to, to learn to paint. So he's one of his biggest loves now is painting. And, and so what you do with the space, another client of mine, CEO of a major, you know, world financial organization, he's using room to be able to do his Zen meditation. He's a yeah. practice, practicing Zen Buddhist. Yeah. His presenting issue was, look, David, when I go home with my, you know, from, with my two young kids on the weekend, I did not want to take this organization with me. Of course. You know, so it's, it, it's, it's, it, what you do with the space is up to you, but this is this is why essentially, and the strange paradox about my stuff is that the people who need it the least are most attracted to it. It's the people who already know that structure is important, but you can you want to go somewhere, you want to have something, or you want more room for something, and your structures are holding you back, or your lack of structure is holding you back. And so that's why the good news about what I do is I get to hang out and, and deal with the most bright, creative, proactive. Right productive people to begin with because when you think about it, it used to puzzle me and then I thought, well, duh, you know, what this does is it relie it relieves drag on the system and relieving drag on the system, uh, who's most interested in relieving drag? The fastest people. Right. Absolutely. Well, come on. Think, think about naturopathy, right? What does it do? Basically, you're just getting rid of stuff that is dragging on the system yes. because the system is naturally organically healthy yes. and, and creative and has that energy. So the whole idea is sort of clean up, clean up your act. That is, you don't have to do anything new. You just need to stop doing the things that, that, that are getting in the way and creating static in the system. And personally, at least for me, I find if, if I walk into a room that is completely disorganized, I personally cannot function. Like I need to have things organized and in place in order for my brain to function better, for my thoughts to function better, for me emotionally to feel better. So I couldn't imagine walking into a, a, a space where everything is just literally everywhere or um, if people are hoarding things and it's just so disorganized. I personally can't function that way. And I'm sure you've seen this with the people you work with is I don't know how many humans can logically and physically function in a in a chaotic space well and to their sure. best ability yeah i agree with you but you have to be careful about that because see being organized means simply that where something is matches what it means to you that's fair it's, it's nothing more nothing less and i've met people and i there are times for myself called i just want this crap piled up right here because that's that's crap i've decided i don't want to deal with and i'm just going to have it sit there and it'll yell at me when it yells at me they are organized, believe it or not. They yes. actually can walk free from that. So organized and neat are not the same thing. No, very some, good point. Very some good very, point. very neat people are totally out of control in their head. Yes. Right? So a lot, as a matter of fact, a lot of people use neatness as a way to avoid meaningful stuff. Right? Elaborate so, on that. That's interesting. Well, a lot of people, oh, you and everybody else has, has uh, wait a minute, before I can sit down and write this thing, I need to get more organized. 
oh, come on, you're just avoiding boot oh, computer, I see what you're saying. hit key, right. you know, take a risk, you know, right. get, get sloppy, get messy, go do something, go make a mistake. Right. Ah, no, let me get more organized. Right. You know, that's the perfectionism that'll create procrastination faster than anything, right? It has to be perfect before I can do it. So you have to be careful about that. So, you know, I make a, a, a little bit of a hyperbolic funny about it, but I say, how many of you have a bunch of crap you just don't want to deal with? Everybody raises their hands. They say, great. All you have to do to get free of that is get yourself a big cardboard box and a big magic marker and just label it. You know, crap I do not want to deal with. And just put it all in that box. You walk free. Uh Why? Because somebody says, that's what that is. That's where those things go. I'm absolutely fine. The problem is, to your point, people have spread crap they don't want to deal with all over their world. So they've, they've disorganized the crap they don't want to deal with. Now their whole world feels like it's full of crap they don't want to deal with. So what they <laughs> didn't do was they didn't name it and they yes. didn't park it where it goes. But you don't have to be neat and anal retentive or OCD in order to make, really make this work. Not at all. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about the, the people that are listening that are like, okay, you know what? Everything, she, everything he's saying is is this is what I want to do now as soon as this call is done I want to take the first steps walk us through you don't have to walk us through all five steps of your methodology but walk us through sort of the the over the overview of the process so we know how we can get started right after this call if we want to to start making our lives more productive <laughs> well uh, get get a, a a pen yes and paper <laughs> This is not hard. No Wi-Fi required. Right. No, Which no is bat- crazy. No, no batteries, right? right? And you start unloading everything that's on your mind. I need cat food. Oh, God, I got to call Bill Smith. I got the holiday coming up. Oh, you know, my printer I, it needs a new thing. I got, oh, geez, the, the battery is mixing on that thing. My daughter has this graduation thing. Get it all. That'll take one to several hours. If you really did that, get it all out of your head and then you throw all that stuff in your in-tray. You take all those things you wrote down and you, you, you pile them all up into a big pile of still unclarified, unorganized stuff, but you've at least identified the things that are pulling on your attention. See, there's a lot of things that are important that are not on your mind or mine because they're on cruise control. Yes. So what you want to do is identify what's not on cruise control. And an easy way to do that is to start to notice what's gotten your attention. Oh, God, we need to. Anything that pops into your head twice means you're inappropriately engaged with whatever it is. As soon as you think, I need cat food twice, you're inappropriately engaged with your cat. <laughs> right? I, no, come on. You, 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 because you're saying, look, I have some agreement that I need to be doing something relative to this situation, and I am not engaged in it appropriately. That's why your mind keeps going, and wake you up at 3 o'clock in the morning about stuff you're inappropriately engaged with. So the first step is to is to identify all those things that are potentially things you still need to decide or do something about. So that's step one. Mm-hmm. Step two is to then 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 you need to take all those notes and go. Okay, what am I going to do about Bill Smith? Oh, I need to call him. Okay, now you need to then clarify what these things are that you wrote down and what you're going to do about them, if anything. And that's where the two key questions are: What's the next action on this? If there is an action I need to take. Is that a phone call? Is that a surf the web? Is that a talk to your life partner? Is that a buy something at the hardware store? What's the very next thing that needs to happen on this? And by the way, if that one thing does not finish what this is about, what's the project? What's the final outcome you're committed to complete about it? And those are the two things most people have avoided 
those of you listening or watching this right now, if you pulled out whatever is passing for a to-do list for you, you probably won't see those two things on 98% of your stuff. The very next action on what you wrote down or what's the final project here? How mm, would you define that? Absolutely. What you'll, what you'll see is things like mom yeah. or bank you know, or doctor. Or, I know. You'll see stuff like that, which is fine. You've, now you've captured something that has yes. your attention, but you can't stop there. Otherwise, you become a compulsive list maker, and those lists will create as much stress as they relieve. If they're just sitting there because some part of you knows they're still thinking and decisions about those things you haven't completed yet, and it's all it's doing is reminding you you don't have the energy to do that. Right. So, so, you know, list, that's an initial first step, but you can't leave it there. So the next step is the clarification step called, okay, action. Oh, I need to call my sister about mom's birthday. Project, give mom a birthday party. Now I've got two things I need to capture. And then that goes, those are two things I need to organize. So I've done one, two, and step one, two, and three are the really first critical ones. I need to capture what's got my attention. I need to clarify actions and outcomes, if any. And then I need to organize the reminders of those things in appropriate places that I know I'll see them at the right time. So that's right. where you build, that's where you start to build a system to then hold a reminder. If I can't call my sister right now, where do I keep a reminder for that? If I can't complete the mom's pro- birthday party right now, where do I hold a reminder that that's a commitment I've got to follow through on? And so a project list and a list of phone calls, those become the structures that the making it, you know, that, that they're getting things done methodology has uncovered that these are the, these are, these are simple. I mean, come on, this is not rocket science. Yep. But it takes time the, and people have to be willing to put that time in initially to make yeah. everything else so much easier. Generally, it, you know, the best thing to do is obviously the best thing to do is go buy my book <laughs> because part two of the book actually walks people through the coaching process that we yes. actually do with people desk side. And if you can give yourself two days, you know, you can get yourself all set up and all clean and, the, and get your head empty and get this, get a, a working system populated. Uh, if you don't have two days, that's okay, but give yourself at least two or three hours, you know, that, that you need to sit down and invest in this. Now, you don't need to keep spending that kind of time. I don't spend much time in my system at all, seconds a day, because I keep it current. That's right. And that's the, that's the key thing is it's always going to be a little bit more time costly in the beginning. But once you start doing this t- every single day, every single week, and this is all part of your process too, is you want to check back in with everything that you've done every single week and, and restructure it and make sure that it's organized. So this is life now. This is our new habit. And we can't just say, oh, well, if I do it once a year, everything's going to be okay for the rest of the year. That's not really how it works. Because as we all know, life brings us tons of deadlines and projects and to do's and this, that or the other. So um, this is something that you have to be, I, I feel committed to, but it will become so easy that as you've mentioned several times on the call, ideally, we want as much of our life to be on quote unquote, autopilot, where we're not having to literally think about it or, or, um, put a lot of effort into so that, you know, our minds can be forever free to do as they need to. Indeed. You know, and, and, and yeah, it, it, it does take an investment to begin with. Uh, and one has to decide that that's worth doing. You know, and I think most people, it's, it's understandable why a lot of people resist it. First of all, I think most people are afraid of their out of controlness. So they don't want to feel more out of control by looking at it. So, you know, that's why a lot of people, I think, tend to keep everything in their head 
they're afraid if I let it loose, you know, the, the can of worms will crawl all over the place, and I don't don't want to do that. So I understand that, and also I understand because a lot of structures and a lot of time management or other kind of programs really haven't worked. They're usually too overstructured or they're too simplistic for the lives people are really living that really map to it. But to your point, it's really not something that it's not a one-time thing. It's really a lifelong lifestyle art of how you manage the flow of life's work. And your flow will change, your life will change, and your work will change. You know, and as I say, look, you know, most people are wrapped around their work and they're wrapped around their life. Frankly, you are not your work. You do your work and you're not even your life. You have a life. Yes. So who's the you I was talking about? Who's the you that works and who's the you that has a life? And But if you let what the material life uh, get out of control, it will run you. If you let the work out of control and your relationship to it, it runs you. So you're not, you're not sitting in freedom. So the freedom, you know, the way out is through. Yeah. You, you, you have to invest in this to get beyond it. You can't ignore it. You can go numb about it. Mm-hmm. Most people do. And you can go unconscious about it. Most people do. That's why, as you know, in, the, in naturopathy, there's oftentimes the healing crisis. Yes. Oh, it's going to feel worse as you're getting better. <clears throat> yep. Right? Because it's just surfacing now. You're getting conscious now. It's showing up. You know, what's always been there. You never really noticed it was there until you started to get clean. Yep. Absolutely. And then as we're kind of talking about this, I wanted to elaborate on another quote that I I, um, heard you say, and that's 80% of adult self-talk is negative. Can you elaborate on sort of how that particular quote can sometimes prevent us from, again, achieving what our potential is, whether it comes to physical, um, emotional, uh, productivity, you name it. But I think that's such a powerful thing for us to think about. Because it's true, right? Sure. Well, self-image is, you know, we know cognitive psychology and all the behavior, you know, all the, all the, the, you know, what's happened since Abraham Maslow, frankly, for the last 50 or 60 years has been about, you know, let's not study what's wrong to fix what's right. Let's study what the right, what, what, what behaviors create high performance and positive behavior and then sort of emulate that. And we know that self-image is really critical. You know, how you think about yourself and what you talk, what you tell yourself and how you image about yourself affects perception and performance instantly. So, you know, and that's just scientific data now, you know, and, 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 and so your self-talk are nothing but the images you're flashing. They're just the advertisements you're looking at. So, you know, when you look at it in your head, it's, oh God, this is going to be hard. Well, somebody says, oh, oh, you want hard? Watch this. Right. And it, it actually, it actually then, locks the reticular formation in your brain into hard and so you'll tend to see things that are hard if you say this is easy there's a part of you says easy hmm what's easy here or if you just said how could i have more fun today everybody listening to this and how could you have more fun today Mm -hmm. right but most people don't think about fun in a conscious way as as a matter of self-talk but if you did somebody says oh fun oh that could be oh that could be fun because that's actually, your, there's a wonderful part of your brain that, that frankly doesn't care what you're looking at. <laughs> it just says, okay, you're looking at that, you must want it. Right. And it start, starts to deliver it. So it, it then affects what you notice in the world. So that's, in a way, that should be self, somewhat self-evident. Uh, but it's true. You know, most of us you know, grew up with, you can't do this, that's hard, you da 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 And it is the risk of the visionary to be willing to see some outcome that you don't know how to get there yet. How do I see having a good day when it's not a good day so far? It feels right. like crap, right? And so t- 
trying to get out beyond what your feelings are and even your mental processes are and to, you know, step forward with, okay, how would I like it? What would I like this to be like? And that, that takes some training. Absolutely. A, a lot of training and a lot of practice to learn how to do that. And what are some of the best resources that you've used to really bring yourself into the present? You seem like such a, um, a, a well-grounded individual. And what are some of the resources that we could use that, you know, this is a podcast talking to business practitioners and nutritionists and, and all these people, but we have to remember that we're also human and we need to take care of ourselves as well. And I've been finding that the overall um, theme of this podcast, which I really wasn't anticipating at all, is really coming back down to mental psyche and your mental emotional state. And I'd love to hear some of the resources and some of the practices that you do to keep yourself present and in the now and keeping your mind clean that maybe we can start learning more about for ourselves too. Uh, I capture everything that has my attention. I clarify <laughs> what I'm going to do about oh, it. I organize that. it into a trusted place. <laughs> I step back and review it regularly so that when I'm with you, um, there's nothing else on my mind. So that, you know, always nice to, you know, meditate, let go, and let God. You know, yeah. so those are, you know, that's sort of my simple little attributes or simple little practices that make it a lot easier to sort of be here. I love it. Is there anything and else? And by the way, I just oh. turned seven. I just turned seventy, so you know, old and cranky is you know, it's kind of fun. So, but know, you but. just moved to a pretty amazing <laughs> continent, I can say. And I, <laughs> so tell me about that. I was really curious about that because we're. I'm calling you from Amsterdam or the Netherlands somewhere, correct? I'm in Amsterdam. Yes. Yeah. Like you so, see the, the the sort of winter sun is setting. It's it's shining on me here through my through my living room window. So how right. amazing is that, though? When did you make that move? Uh, almost two years ago. And did you build the home that you're living in? No, no, no. We're just renting. Oh, I see. Yeah, no. Catherine and I sort of decided to lighten our footprint uh, a few years ago. Uh, we we don't have kids, and we were getting to an age where we saw people our age and older that were getting a little too sedentary for our taste, and we said, you know. And a lot of my work I've said for years was global. Yeah. And that this is universal stuff. So you know, my mission is to get this work that I've uncovered to as many people on the planet that want it. So, you know, our big, 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 big project, long-term project right now, we're now franchising our training programs around the world. So there's a pretty good business reason to be in Europe. It's much more the center of the universe in terms of the world than, than California was. So uh, 70 isn't looking all that bad then I'm going to say. Oh, come on. <laughs> you you know, seven, yet. Seven, 70 is the new 50. Is the new <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Is there any final words of advice you have for us who are just getting started in, in our business, are trying to grow our business, or trying to figure out our niche within our business? Um, any final thoughts for those that are listening? Relax and build in at least a two-hour regular reflexive, uh, you know, a time to reflect at the end of every work week that you step back and use whatever tools you can to orient yourself back to what's my gestalt now? What's changed? What's new? What's got my attention? What do I need to do to get that off my mind? And to use that reflective process. That's the thing that's probably most lacking yeah. you know, I agree in, with the, you. in the high-powered professional world. And pen to paper. It's all we need. We don't need high-tech gadgets. Mm -mm. But if you love them, I, I got all kinds of high-tech gadgets around. So, you know, uh, they're, they're, 
everything everything to its time and its purpose. Yes. And if people want to get in touch with you or follow you, because you have a podcast as well, what are some of the ways that people can look you up and learn more uh, from you? Yeah, just go to gettingthingsdone.com and sign up for our free newsletter. That'll give you the, my essays and you know we'll come across regularly. Awesome. So that's a way. And there's a lot, of, a lot of resources we have there that people can tap into if they want. And my book, obviously, the new, I, you know, I wrote a revised edition yes, of Getting I Things saw. Done. And uh, so that's out. You can get that wherever you buy, a book, wherever you buy books. And that book is Getting Things Done, as we've mentioned. And, of course, I will have all the links for everyone on the website, maximizedbusiness.ca. So um, if you don't have a chance to write things down or look things up right now, you can just hit up the show notes on my website. But David Allen, thank you so much for coming on and talking to me. Um, this was just such a wonderful start to my day. It's 9 a.m. here. It's 5 p.m. there, I think. So I'm starting my day off well. I hope that this was a, a wonderful finish to your day. And I would love to chat with you again in the near future because I think, as I said, this podcast went a totally different sort of route than I was expecting it to go. And it was really sort of a, a check-in reminder for me. So I'm taking a lot from this and I hope everybody that's listening is taking a lot as well. So thank you again so much. Hey, my pleasure. And by the way, I ran across naturopathy and did a lot of that work actually as I was beginning to write the book and and and, and it was about to be published in the year 2000. So uh, good work and uh, thanks for being out there doing what you're all doing. Yes. <laughs> all right. Have a wonderful day. Uh, this is Andrea Maxim, your lovely host on the Profitable Practice Podcast. Definitely get in touch with me. Um, leave your reviews of this podcast on the iTunes site. Definitely um, subscribe, obviously, because we're going to have amazing people just like David on the show. And if you want to work with me one-on-one, -on -one, uh, hit me up on the website again, maximizedbusiness.ca. I'm out, guys. You guys are killer. Thank you, as always, for listening to the Profitable Practice Podcast. Leave me a comment, and if you haven't already, I would love a review in iTunes. Definitely subscribe to this podcast and leave me a quick review. For those ready to maximize your practice, contact me at www.maximizedbusiness.ca.